Hi, everybody. Welcome to Rachel's Reviews and Hidden Jumps podcast. And this is the show where once every week on Fridays, we take a look at a streaming service and tell you the hidden gems that you should check out on that streaming service. And I'm film critic Rachel Wagner, and Ryan is here. Uh, hey, Rachel. So great to be back with you once again. And you know how people like to say that there's no, there, there's like no, there's a place that they were no, I have like Joe Biden speaking ability today. Do you know how people always, they always say that they would be, there would, they would rather be nowhere else but here? Yeah. I would rather be nowhere else but right yeah. here and right now recording this with you. So. Well, the feeling is mutual. It's always so much fun to get to talk with you and uh, and just to be able to talk about some hidden gems and just, I don't know, just have a good time. We have a great time. Yeah, we do every week. And it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's becoming the highlight of uh, the highlight of my week, so yeah. no matter what service we're talking about. And I think today we're going to be talking about like one of my favorite, if not my favorite service in, mm -hmm. in terms of Canopy, because it's, it's definitely a sleeper hit. Yeah, it really is. And the reason why we thought about this was because we have Sundance coming up. So I just have sort of independent features on the mind. And really, I think you could probably make an argument that almost anything in Canopy is a hidden gem uh, because it's not like they have, you know, your big blockbusters or your kind of things on uh, this service. And so it's more classics, criterion type releases, independent films, documentaries, things like that. Yeah. And it's all for free with a library card. So and this this is what I say to people all the time. If you're just getting done with like the the classics that everybody knows, like Citizen Kane and mm -hmm. Lawrence Arabia and Godfather, and you want to go see like more movies from like the 50s up to the early 70s, then I'd say check out Canopy because it's like a it's like a one stop shop. You can find yeah. Chaplin movies on there. You can find Kur Kurosawa's work. You can find like touch of evil from orson wells on there and the stranger so it's not too obscure yeah. but it's like take the person or the director or the movie that you know and this is the stuff that they've also done yeah and it's interesting because they have they have some new films too and and there's films that i didn't necessarily recommend on like on rotten tomatoes but for free I think they might be worth your time. Like they, they were mixed bags. They were flawed, but they still had some interesting parts about them. Uh, like they had on there, I noticed Judy and punch, which I thought was a really interesting premise. Not some interesting performances. It didn't quite work for me, but again, for free, it's definitely, I think worth checking out. So it's all about your kind of, I don't know, your, your spectrum here of kind of, uh, if you, they, they have a lot of really interesting stuff that, uh, that, uh, some of it is new, some of it is old and it's my favorite price a free 99. <laughs> Indeed. And Canopy's slogan is thoughtful entertainment. So, you know, yeah. catapulting off of your feeling of, oh, it's, it's, it's thought provoking stuff. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, so let's dive in let's talk about our picks so the first one for me is was actually on pbs uh, a couple of years ago this was like 2007 to 2009 uh they did 
all the Jane Austens except for Pride and Prejudice. They did new versions of all of the Jane Austen main novels. And, uh, and except for, yeah, like I said, they didn't do Pride and Prejudice because I think the thought was it's with the Colin Firth version, you can't do it any better. That's it. That's done. And so what are you, you know, what are you doing? But uh, one of the films that is available on Canopy is Northanger Abbey. And this is her least uh, adapted novel uh, that we've never really gotten a real like feature film of Northanger Abbey. And I don't understand why, because I think it is super cinematic uh it's it's got a sense of humor to it it's uh it's less sort of i don't know period piece stodgy if people have a problem kind of with that than her other books and so i don't know i think that it it has a lot of potential and should be adapted as a feature film but this version is still really good uh, starring felicity jones and carrie mulligan are both in this and uh, she plays a, a young Felicity Jones plays a young lady who goes to who's like in love with gothic novels so you know with with you know creepy mansions and and uh dukes and and uh uh na knaves that are up to no good and you know this kinds of novels and uh, and so she loves those and she starts to think that the the abbey that she's visiting the the manor is it is that there's ghosts and there's other things going on and she gets kind of spooked and she thinks there's murder and and uh, bad stuff happening and uh it's really cute it's it's really good and of course there's romance and so if you like period pieces and jane austen you got to check it out so is the house actually haunted or is that a spoiler um it's it, it's not actually haunted but there's lots of things because she's so into these novels that she gets kind of spooked oh. and uh, <laughs> but this is only 93 minutes it's not that long like for if you're thinking like oh her you know Jane Austen's five hours long or whatever it's not and uh so yeah <laughs> yeah I know because I I read Wuthering Heights late last year yeah. and uh I enjoyed the book quite quite wholeheartedly but it was like this is hard work <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean and Wuthering Heights they're both so unlikable both of Heathcliff and Catherine but they're so passionate that and it's written so well that i i think it overall works mm -hmm. but but they're just so awful to each other <laughs> across this generations is, too it's like guys can we all get along and that ending feels so tacked on to me i feel like the the publisher made her write that because it doesn't feel like at all in theme with sort of the rest of the book but but anyway that's Wuthering heights this is northanger abbey this is a lot sweeter and just kind of meant to be sort of funny and a lark uh so if uh if you enjoy that kind of thing then you'll really like it so what's your first pick so my first choice is from late 2013, early 2014, depending on what year it, you saw it in theaters. And it is called Under the Skin. Uh, this stars uh, Scarlett Johansson as a woman who is seemingly not of this world. She goes 
from town to town in, in, on the Scottish countryside. Uh, she takes men into her van and seemingly passes them off into a mysterious void. And I know this, I know it's a very strange premise and yeah, it, it, it exactly is. Uh, this is an A24 movie, which again, A24 is like that studio now that deals with the very tricky and I, I don't want to say tricky premises, but like very, very, very abstract kind of thing. Yeah. And it, that goes double for Under the Skin. Why I do recommend it is for a couple of things. Number one, the cinematography, because this movie looks absolutely beautiful. Uh, they, uh, Jonathan Glazer, who directed it, captures the Scottish countryside in a very, in a very beautiful way. And the void itself, you don't you don't see it too much, but when you do see it, it it's you feel very scared of it because of how, of just how empty it is. And that's as far as I'll go, because this is one of those movies that I feel like you really need to be as completely separated from any trailers or anything as, as possible. You just need to go in as blind as possible. And reason number two is Scarlett Johansson, because, you know, she's cool and she's good in most of the things that she's in. And it's no different here. You really don't understand why she is doing the things that she is doing. It's the movie feels like jazz. You just kind of run with it at a point. And at the end of the day, I can see why people wouldn't like it. But I actually saw it at an art house theater, and there was a uh, special like there was a thing at the end where the the guy running it was like, all right. Let's discuss. And everyone was like, what in the blue hell did we just watch? <laughs> but it, it's, it's a very fond experience for me. And I think this movie is very worthy of a discussion. And that's yeah. why I do recommend it. I haven't seen it, but I have heard good things from a lot of different people. And that it is one of those ones that you have questions about and you talk about. And so I, I always appreciate those kind of films. That's very Sundancey. So it's a good suggestion for this week. Yeah, and before we move on, I should just warn everybody, if you do watch this movie, you need to be, like, mentally prepared. Like, yeah. you can't you can't go into a movie like this, like, uh, oh, I got some work I gotta do. I'll just throw on under the skin <laughs> in the background. Like, no, this is a movie where you need to sit there and, like, yeah. take notes for, like, right. every, every scene that happens. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just a, yeah. you need to be prepared for what you're about to experience. Right. Yeah, you have to know what you're getting yourself into. And by the way, if people want to participate in Sundance this year, it's all virtual and only $15 tickets. Not too bad. So if you take a look and see uh, what is out there and if there's anything that looks interesting to you. And then they have a day pass as well. Uh, so if... Um, if people are interested, it's it's pretty cool to have it be available to everybody this year uh, that, that wants to attend. And I'm going to be covering it quite a bit. And we have uh, me and Austin did a preview episode on the podcast, uh, me and Austin Burke talking about our some of the ones we're looking forward to. So there's a lot of good stuff going on there. Uh, my uh, next choice is a documentary and it is called Echo in the Canyon. And it's, I feel like I've talked about it before on Hidden Gems, but 
I didn't have any record of it. So if I have, forgive me, but <laughs> this is a documentary that is about the uh, Laurel Canyon area of Los Angeles that in 1965, that was sort of this, uh, home base for a ton of awesome rock bands and they have a ton of original footage of them just playing in their homes and in the recording studios down there and this includes people like the mamas and the papas the beach boys uh they um uh, the birds uh buffalo springfield like it's just a ton of great bands from the 1960s and uh, and so i think if you like any of those bands and you like music and learning about how music was created i think you really enjoy this uh documentary there's a whole part where they stage this uh revival concert uh with a modern bands uh and singers singing these old songs uh, with Jacob Dylan uh, and uh, and Regina Spector and Cat Power and sort of these new singers and to me that was the weakest part of the documentary because I wasn't watching it for them I was watching it for these classic groups to hear from Eric Clapton and you know people like that uh, but it's not like bad it's just not as interesting to me as like the older stuff uh, but maybe some people will like the newer stuff better. Uh, but I don't know. It just wasn't as interesting to me. Uh, but nevertheless, definitely, I think, worth a watch. Yeah, I grew up with a lot of these bands. Uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Jacob Dylan. Any relation to Bob? Yes, his, his son. His, he's his son. That's what and I he's, thought. He's the one that definitely like got this thing made because he's the he's the narrator i think he's like a producer uh he's i think he's a big kind of force behind and he's i think he's probably a reason that you were able to get so many interviews with people that don't normally do interviews because of his connection uh to uh to bob dylan and to the whole scene but you have interviews with ringo Starr, like i said eric clapton uh graham nash uh jackson brown just that whole group so it's worth it yeah just to hear from all of them and i uh, hear that see they got so much old footage it's amazing yeah uh you would be surprised at how much how much people filmed back then i think yeah I remember this one interview with Orson Welles on the uh, on Dick Cavett's show where Dick Cavett casually dropped the line of people nowadays would rather make film than make love. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> that's true. I guess that's true. But yeah, yeah. I was I was reading the the list of, of people who were in this and I, and I and I and I saw Jackson Brown's name and I was like, oh, wow, he's in this because my dad and I actually saw him live at the uh, Peabody Auditorium in Daytona Beach and and it was mm -hmm. awesome because my dad and I would listen to his songs like, fun. would listen to his songs all the time and of course Eric Clapton is a legend Ringo Starr we all know who he is Brian Wilson we all know who he is so uh, it's yeah. strange that I never found this but now I have so there we go yeah and Jacob Dylan he's like a legit performer he, he had a band called the Wallflowers which had like quite a few hits so 
we had one song called one heartbeat that was a pretty popular song um so he's he's uh he's established himself as a as a singer so uh what do you have next so my next choice uh this may be a particularly controversial choice because of who is behind the camera on this one and I'll explain it and I'll explain it as I go along but my second choice is Apocalypto now I should get out ahead of this right now and say that this was directed by Mel Gibson and this was released in or around the same time as Mel Gibson made some very insensitive comments that I certainly do not agree with but Many years removed from all of that, I watched that a few, I watched this movie a few years ago, and I was absolutely blown away by it. I'm not saying that this is a movie for everybody, because it more than certainly is not. Mel Gibson makes very visceral and raw films like Passion of the Christ, Taxaw Ridge, and I could go on, but Mel Gibson makes very Mel Gibson movies. However, Apocalypto may be among his his more underrated movies. It's, it takes place during the dying days of the Mayan empire and this, young, and this young man who lives outside the empire is kidnapped by the empire and is brought in and he basically has to escape. That's the, that's the main premise without going too deep into the quicksand because there's a lot of quicksand. Uh, I should also say that this movie is, is told in all of ancient Mayan so you all should be prepared for that. And I think I may have turned some of you off by that already. But <laughs> if you give the movie a chance, I think you will be surprised because the cinematography and the action is filmed just super duper well. Mel Gibson knows exactly what he's doing when he's filming action. And the jungle chase in the last third is worth the ticket price by itself. There's a scene with a snake. You will not see it coming, but it will be just like one of those scenes you're like, geez, oh, wow. And, and just, it, it's one of those that you won't see it coming. And when you do, it just, it's going to grow some hair on your chest. So um, I will say that this movie is not for everyone. Mel Gibson is not for everyone. I totally get that. But if you do give Apocalypto a chance, then I think you might be surprised. Yeah, I have never seen this one, but I've heard that it uh, it's that it is definitely uh, a underrated. And I mean, I've always been a little nervous about the the violence in this movie. So that's why I haven't seen it. But uh, but yeah, I've heard that it's that it is really good. Minus one scene. This is one of Mel Gibson's more toned down scenes. And I, and I won't say which one, but if you know anything about Mayan history, then you can pretty much put two and two together from there. So my next pick is another one that I felt like we talked about before, but I, I'm losing track, to be honest, about what I talk about on which podcast and what's going we, on. So You do I don't run know. a lot of podcasts, so we do talk about a lot of movies on here. <laughs> Thank but, God! For, thank God for letterboxed to a certain yes. extent. Yes. Uh, so we're talking about Hunt for the Willer People. This I think is the second film or the first film from Taika Waititi. I can't remember which one's first. What we did in the shadows or this? Uh, yeah, what we did in shadows is first, but yeah, then this, this. second. And uh, and so, but this is such a charming film, and I think that. 
it shows how great Taika Waititi is working with, with children because not only is this great, but then Jojo Rabbit is so great. And the, the actor, the Julian Dennison in this is really great in this. And I think he's kind of not great in Deadpool 2 and in uh, the Christmas Chronicles 2. I did not like his performance in those films. Well, Dead, so, Deadpool, Deadpool 2 is, is hard work. So that, that was not his fault. <laughs> I guess, but he was so flat in that movie to me. But, uh, but so I think he has a way of getting really great performances from child actors, Taika Waititi. And that is definitely the case here. And uh, it's basically about this man played by Sam Neill, who uh, is off the grid and uh, he's, and he ends up kind of, uh, getting sort of stranded with his foster son uh, played by Julian Dennison and they're out in the uh, in the forests and there's this kind of police chase looking for them it's charming super super charming it's got Taika Waititi's uh, sense of humor so if you like movies like Thor Ragnarok then you'll enjoy this and of course, this is much more independent, but it, I mean, it looks absolutely beautiful. There's New, in New Zealand uh, forests, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, so it's funny, it's sweet, uh, it's very enjoyable. Yeah, I think Taika Waititi is slowly gaining a reputation as being one of our best directors going. I don't think he's had a single like bad movie that he's been involved with like from mm -hmm. his very beginning of what we do with the shadows up to now with jojo rabbit i mean yeah. he played hitler like that's a big risk yeah but he somehow managed to pull it off and in terms of hunt for the wilder people this was unfortunately one of those movies that i missed not due to any any reason other than this was a very small movie and it didn't get above like yeah. a certain ceiling of people who were, were actually going to see it in theaters but now that it's on canopy i really don't have an excuse not to watch it yeah and i think if you're sort of stressed out if you're wanting something that'll make you feel good about the world then this is that kind of movie it's just so sweet and uh, and has a a uh, good heart to it so it'd be a good one if you're uh, having a bad day and you need something to watch <laughs> hint 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh yeah uh so what's your next pick so my next pick is a bit it's a bit out there it's from 2016 and it is called captain fantastic uh this was this was directed by by matt ross who is primarily known as being a character actor he was in movies like american psycho and the aviator so he's more mm. known as an actor than a director but in Captain Fantastic, it, it tells the story of this family whose patriarch is played by Viggo Mortensen, Aragorn, by the way. Mm -hmm. And they all live in a very secluded part of Oregon. They don't go into the outside world. They keep to themselves. They're very, they're very secluded in that way. However, due to a tragedy that I will not spoil, they are forced to leave their seclusion and enter the real world this could have very much been just a standard oh like and they like is this a clock like a very like a very dumb fish out of water kind of thing 
But this movie, I think, is actually really, really good. Uh, Viggo Mortensen, if you just know him for the Lord of the Rings movies, he's cool in those, but he's also good in a lot of other things, like, and especially in this. And, uh, and there's also other actors like George McKay. He was, uh, he was Schofield in 1917. He was the best part of that whole movie. So he's, get, he's getting a lot of traction nowadays, but I was loving him in Captain Fantastic. And it is very, it's very cliche in terms of people going from one place to another and, and trying to figure out a new world. But the strength of the cast and the dialogue and some of the jokes are actually quite good. So it's a bit off the beaten path, just like the family in this movie. But if you give it a chance, I think it's definitely for you. Yeah. So this one, Vigo actually got an Oscar nomination for this role. And I think he does a good job. I mean, if you compare it to The Glass Castle, which I hate, uh, which is a very similar story. Uh, this, I think they aren't as, uh, quite as lionizing of him as The Glass Castle is. Uh, they don't try to pretend that he's really even that good of a person um, for what he's doing to his family. And I think the girls call him out on it, particularly in the script, uh, that you know, of what he's doing. And so I appreciate that. I uh, I think that it definitely has sort of a quirky, almost Wes Anderson-y kind of style to it that they're trying to do. Yeah, so I'd recommend it. I think it's worth a watch. I It has a style to it and it's, it's fun. And, and I appreciate, like I said, they don't try to make him seem like a hero. This is... This is your classroom while he is taking all their money to drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, I hate the glass castle so much. <laughs> we should do like a mystery science theater 3000 <sighs> style viewing of it just so we can tear it apart. Oh, I was so angry when I saw it. I've never been more angry, I don't think, ever in a theater. If I wasn't in the middle of the row, I probably would have walked out. I was so mad. <laughs> I, probably would I was have stuck been, right in the middle. <laughs> I probably would have been being like, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yes. So Captain Fantastic, definitely better than that. That's for sure. <laughs> um, all right. Well, my next pick is admittedly maybe a bit of a stretch because it is one of the most beloved Best Picture winners ever. But I think you can probably make an argument for any movie that's pre-1960 as being a hidden gem because people just, certain people just don't see older movies. And so I wanted to talk about the best years of our lives. This was actually on my Blind Spot series last year. I hadn't seen it. Uh, it is very long. <laughs> so I think that's part of the reason why I hadn't seen it uh, because it kind of, you know, just not every day that you're looking for a 172 minute, you know, post-world Medi war meditation season. on post-traumatic stress yeah. disorder <laughs> that's a and long how, and how returning soldiers have to reintegrate into civilian life that's right um but no, this is a really great film uh it's about uh this family and uh how they respond to world war ii well particularly about three world war ii veterans and and then one family uh, that gets impacted as well. And Myrna Loy, Friedrich March, uh, Teresa Wright, uh, really just an incredible 
uh, cast. This is directed by William Wyler, and he's a great director. And you have lots of Oscars that it won. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, and Best Supporting Actor to Harold Russell. And he was the... Uh, he was a, a soldier, real life returning soldier with, um, he's one of only two non-professional actors to win an Oscar uh, in the history of the Academy. Yeah, so he doesn't have, uh, so I just wanted to see if I was the right, if there was a right way to say it. But um, no, he, he uh, has uh, two artificial arms is that fair to say yeah um, well, let's go with that <laughs> his two artificial arms and uh, he's one of the only uh i guess you'd say um handicapped individuals to win an oscar so that's really cool but it's just so he has a great performance it's devastating performance and uh, it's you really feel like you're with these people and experiencing this it doesn't feel like it's from 1946 it feels very relevant and modern it's really good yeah i actually covered this movie for the afi project hashtag cheap plug but when i watched this movie for the first time i was completely blown away just by how like you said rachel how relevant it all felt despite the fact that it took place in World War, in, at the end of World War II, you could literally take this for Korea, Vietnam, you know, yeah. like anything involving the Middle East in the, in the tw- 2000s and the 2010s, and it would still be, it'd still be just as relevant. Yeah. Uh, all of the acting in this movie is incredible. Uh, Dana Andrews, like you said, he has my favorite moment of the movie when he encounters the guy who is, who, who is on Homer's case. He's like, you lost your hands for nothing. And he just punches him through the candy counter. And, and then he just takes his apron off and he's like, yep, I know I'm fired. And then he throws it down. And I'm like, yeah, you got fired for the right reason. Yeah. And then of course, of, and then of course, Harold Russell is just, his story arc is absolutely heartbreaking just throughout this whole thing. But without spoiling anything, he does get to win at the end, which, I mean, yay for that. Uh, Friedrich March is also awesome. Like, he had previously won an Oscar for playing Jekyll and Hyde in the original Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So he had quite a range. He was one of those actors that could go from horror to serious stuff and everything in between and just absolutely crush it every time. And then William Wyler, who directed it, would go on to direct Ben-Hur, which is one of the best Bible movies ever made, and he would win another Oscar for that. William Wyler is subtly one of the best directors that I feel like we never really talk about, or at least off of film Twitter Mm -hmm. and Letterboxd. And it doesn't have that squeaky feeling of say like a Frank Capra kind of a film which I love those films but this is pretty messy and it is a lot of really flawed characters that uh that you don't have uh the kind of like heroic journeys that you see like say in a Frank Capra type of movie or something like that that we think of from the to the 50s in particular that we think of. Yeah, Friedrich March's character goes through a nasty separation with his wife, and you see it, and it's just like, 
good lord like she's being just she's being cruel yeah yeah i yeah so it's definitely definitely worth checking out uh what's your next pick so my next pick is along the same lines it is a war movie but it's from 2015 and it is called eye in the sky uh this was directed by gavin hood who unfortunately directed x-men origins wolverine spoiler alert this movie is much better than than (laughs) x-men origins wolverine but this movie is significant because this was alan rickman's final role before his passing this released i want to say like summer of 2015 and he had passed away sometime before that which is rather unfortunate however he did go out on a uh, he did go out on a high note it tells the story of a uh, of a military commander played by Helen Mirren who is ordered to to drop a drone strike on a known terrorist however as the drone strike is about to happen this little girl runs in and complicates things because I, I, because she is related to this terrorist. And so the debate begins. Do they do it and get rid of the terrorist or do they wait and like wait for the girl to leave and then do it? It's a, uh, it's like 12 angry men, but like set in the middle East and no jury duty if that makes, that makes no sense, <laughs> but it, it's a more, it's a moral dilemma of should you or shouldn't you. And that's where the strength of this movie is. Uh, The cast in this is great. Helen Mirren, we all know who she is. She's great. Alan Rickman is really good in this in his final role. Aaron Paul, who was from Breaking Bad and El Camino and and was in the most recent season of Westworld, he's in this and he's really good. This is one of those war movies that is is more cerebral than others. And it and it may be, and it may be a little a little long in the tooth at times, but its its strength lies in the question of do we capture this terrorist or do we kill him? And it's just it's good back and forth between all three of the all three of the main characters, and that's why I recommend it. Yeah, I I I gave this movie three stars. I'm not sure why I didn't give it higher. I. I can't remember. It's been so while since I saw it, but you know, I, I guess a, a still a positive score. Uh, the for Eye in the Sky, and I think the performances I remember really enjoying. And there's definitely some tense moments, especially with that girl that's uh, putting that's trying to sell her her bread uh, while you know they're trying to get her to get out of there. Uh, that uh, I think I I did say in my review that this movie should not. Uh, be rated R. I didn't understand why it was rated R. It's yeah, that's it. that's so that's so bizarre. It, it's like it's like some movies get rated R because they say like like a couple too many f bombs. But then there are movies like Drag Me to Hell from Sam Raimi who are PG thirteen, and yet that has a literal dragging of a person like straight to hell. So so it's so the MPA's rating system is a little like it's yeah. a shot guide <laughs> yeah but it's definitely got good performances helen mirren is always good even in bad movies she's good mm-hmm. and uh so yeah i think it's a tight little movie that definitely worth seeing uh on canopy so i think it's a good choice um well my last choice is again a bit of a stretch for a hidden gem 
because it did get an Oscar nomination and it's pretty popular in the world of film Twitter at least, but I don't know how popular it is outside. But nevertheless, I'm gonna suggest it anyway. Um, we're gonna talk about Lady Bird. This is from 2017. It got nominated for Best Picture. And this is by director Greta Gerwig, stars Cersei Ronan and Laurie Metcalf in an absolutely incredible performance as her mom. I think actually I feel much more for her mom than for Lady Bird. Mm. that's just because of my age i don't know um because lady bird is a lot she's this disgruntled teenager that sometimes i hate in movies but uh but there's just enough for me to put up with her um i really like her her relationship with jason uh with um with lucas hedges I don't know why I almost said Jason Hedges. What is that? <laughs> Lucas his Hedges. Old, his older brother, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lucas Hedges. Uh, I think that he, he always does a great job. He's such a good young talent. Timothy Chalamet is also good in it. Uh, it's uh, It's got uh, a really nice kind of message about uh, trying to understand the people that we are related to. <laughs> trying to see them for more than just, you know, the stern mother and whatever the kind of thing. And I actually, I feel like that uh, I don't really understand what Lady Bird's problem is because her mom is pretty chill, in my opinion. She's letting in, like her brother and and his girlfriend live with them and is pretty, like pretty nice, I think. But, you know, when you're a teenager, I guess your mom is just not cool. But by the end, she starts to realize, oh, maybe her mom is kind of cool and is actually nice. And I think the ending with the letter and everything with her going off uh, and them that what happens with their relationship, I think actually kind of really feels true and works. And so, yeah, I enjoy it. I think it's a good movie uh, that, uh, that does a lot of things that normally I, I maybe don't like in movies, but it does it pretty well. Yeah, I remember seeing this movie in theaters and I wasn't super crazy about it. I remember my exact reaction when I walked out of it was, yep, that's either going to be nominated or win Best Picture of the Academy Awards. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't hate it, don't get me wrong. I've, I like Saoirse Ronan as an actor, especially since I saw her in Hana, one of her first movies, and that was yeah. really underrated. So, I, so anything revolving her, I'm inclined to watch it, but... Even still, I think I should watch this again at some point because I remember liking it but being like, this is very much an Oscar movie. And, and Yeah, and I think that's fair and I, and I would actually agree. I just think if you watch it from the perspective of the Laurie Metcalf character more than the Lady Bird character, I think it's, uh, it's much better. <laughs> if you watch it thinking of that because she is such an interesting character her mother i think and so well written and so well acted that to me she's more interesting than the ladybird character yeah i can definitely agree with that mm -hmm. so if you haven't seen it or maybe you thought oh this is overrated give it a shot it's actually i think pretty good uh it's not my favorite movie in the world and that was a pretty strong year for movies 2017 and so you know with it you had uh you had dunkirk you had uh get out baby driver call me by your name coco uh it was a pretty good year uh shape of water won that year i know you uh, don't like it but i love it blade runner 2049 <laughs> now it's not that i don't 
uh, I, I don't, I appreciate it. It's just Blade Runner makes me sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> I will turn you into a fan. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Wonder Woman came out to this. It was a good year, 2017, for, for movies. Greatest Showman. <laughs> The movie that somehow won't die. That's right. So what's your last pick? So my last pick is, uh, is a bit of a hard left from, uh, from contemporary drama of, of about a teenage daughter and a mother to a full-blown zombie movie. It's Day of the Dead from 1985. Uh, Night of the Living Dead is seen by many as one of the greatest, not the greatest zombie movie ever made. Dawn of the Dead is seen as one of the best horror sequels ever made, and this is Day of the Dead, and nobody really talks about it, even in the horror community. However, for a, for a certain group of people, this is the best of the of the dead movies, and it's, in, in my opinion, it does rank up there. It's like a perfect zombie trilogy of night, dawn, and day. Wow, that actually connected. I just realized that. But in Day of the Dead, it tells the story of the zombie apocalypse has happened. There's like few humans left and zombies are pretty much just going everywhere. But there's this deranged, there's this deranged military captain who is trying to create one final stand against the zombies. That's, that's pretty much that plot in a nutshell. But where the movie lies in the strength department is that is is in the commentary. George A. Romero had a surprising level of social commentary to his movies that wasn't overt, like in your face, but was present enough to where if you were looking for it, you could find it. That's why in Dawn of the Dead, it takes place in a mall, and it has been long speculated that that it was meant to be his take on mall shoppers. They're basically zombies. Well, in Day of the Dead, to, without giving away too much, the zombies are presented as more human-like and smarter than the actual humans. And it's more nuanced than that, but again, I'm trying to keep this as spoiler-free as possible. This is one of those movies I think you should just go in completely blind without seeing too many trailers. But really, even if you take out the commentary side of things, this is a very well-made movie. George A. Romero had a certain way of making his movies look really clean for how small their budgets were. And the gore effects were done by Tom Savini, who is a legend in the horror genre, but as an actor and as a makeup artist. And his gore effects are on full display here. It is just, it's juicy stuff. So just be prepared if you do see it. But yeah, Day of the Dead is more than underrated in terms of horror threequels because if it's a third movie in a horror series, it's usually bad. But Day of the Dead is the exception rather than the rule. Hmm. Yeah. So it's in it's in color. This one is supposed to be black and white, like Night of the Dead. No, no, no. Dead. This this is in color as well as Dawn. Okay. Yeah. I I've only seen the first one. I've only seen Night. And of I was Dead. honestly surprised that you did. <laughs> I tried to get out of my comfort zone sometimes, and I actually liked it. I thought it was pretty good. So I'll have to maybe someday check out these other ones. 
uh, that uh, I'm mean, pretty weak uh, when it comes to horror horror movies, but I keep trying to push my comfort level bit by bit. So it sounds like one that might be worth watching. So very well, cool. Well, the good thing about rem- most of Romero's movies is that despite the genre that they're in, there is more to them than meets the eye. So even if you're not a big, like, if you're not a big gore fiend, I say you could get in touch with it just based on the oh, there's a deeper meaning to all of this. It's not just zombies for the sake of zombies. There's there's meaning to all of it, for lack of a better word. Mm, yeah, cool, good. All right, well, we certainly gave you f- ten, uh, five each, 10 very eclectic movies to watch uh, on Canopy. So you get 10 choices every month on Canopy. So there you go, perfect. <laughs> So uh, thanks so much for listening. Let us know your thoughts on any of these films. And if you've been watching anything on Canopy, we'd love to hear what it is. And Ryan, where can people find you? They can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at RyanCam20. Then there's, of course, my YouTube channel, which is just called RyanCam. We are recording this on a Tuesday, which means yesterday, Monday, I dropped my AFI project video for The Gold Rush. And it was one of the more unique videos that I've done in a while. Uh, Tomorrow, Wednesday, I'll be dropping my video for Nashville, the Robert Altman film. And then this coming Sunday, I will be reviewing all of the Alien movies. That means Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, Prometheus, and Alien Covenant. So there's a lot to look forward to. And then I'm continuing my I Finally Watched series where I'm working my way through the Ghibli movies. And I'm going to be bringing back my TV show vlogs and talking about WandaVision and Twilight Zone. So there's a lot of stuff coming to the channel. If you haven't checked me out, please do. I put a lot of time and effort into it. And I'm so happy because I crossed 120 subscribers. I'm actually at 122 at the time of this recording. And I know it's not much. It's certainly not nowhere in Rachel's shoe closet when it comes to subscriber numbers. But... I'm very happy with where the channel's going and it's just going to get higher and higher from here. So if you haven't checked me out, please, I'd be grateful. Yes, you should all subscribe. It's really good stuff. And you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all over social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out. And I'm going to be covering Sundance coming up. So make sure you're subscribed. And then also you can find me at Hallmarkies Podcast, where we have lots of interviews and reviews of all things rom-com and holiday and everything over there. It's really fun. And thanks so much, everybody. And we'll talk to you all next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.